For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller for our season finale. Hello, Josh. Hello, Dan. And I'm really happy to be at a very special place for our season finale here with a very special guest. Uh, we're at the Ritz-Carlton. Maison Boulud. Maison Boulud in the back in the garden. It's a really fantastic atmosphere. It was our guest's choice. Uh, Andy Millman will be our profile this evening. It's like, let's just call this my cafeteria. It's like my little cafeteria here. Little, In- inspirational little, cafeteria, no doubt. Yes, and I get to close the season. Absolutely. I may get to close the station. <laughs> but uh, go ahead, guys. We're, he- we're heading into our 11th season now, so you're closing the decade off, really. Wow. Andy. And we appreciate you being here. So we're going to have a lot of your advice throughout the show, um, how to work with creatives. We're going to talk about your career. And at the end, we're also going to talk to Natalie Riviere about the event, Josh, that you guys put on on a regular basis called F-Up Nights. And in the last segment, which will be available online uh, for listening, uh, we'll, we'll be a little uncensored. Talk, we'll be, and talk a little bit a little yeah. more about failures and uh, maybe some of uh, Mr. Nolman's failures. Yes, uh, there have been one or two <laughs> today, but continue. You're still standing, so yes. hey. So once again, we want to thank the Ritz-Carlton so much. Uh, they have a lovely Sanka set uh, throughout the summer if you want to come by. They just finished the whole Grand Prix madness, and we're here uh, overlooking the beautiful garden. It's really lush, and, uh, and we have a little private area here. So thanks again to the Ritz, and uh, we'll be back soon. So do uh, check it out this summer. And Josh, let's, uh, let's look back at the season, perhaps, for our, our introductory chat here. And we've had some phenomenal guests, as we've done in our 10th season, and uh, you know, coming up on 250 guests, uh, and they're... There have really been some pearls of wisdom, some phenomenal stories, and let's get right to it. All right. Well, let's pick out maybe some of our favorites from the year, our, our favorite pieces of wisdom uh, throughout the year. And Andy, feel free to jump in here. But one, one young man who really impressed me this year was possibly our youngest entrepreneur ever. I'm not sure, but it, outside of the startups, he may have been our youngest. Pretty, Yeah, exactly. So Nick Melka of Miel MTL. Uh, he started the business, he was 19 years old, he's now 25, and he's going around rooftops in Montreal installing beehives. He's essentially gotten close to the bees, but this, this story didn't begin with him wanting to make money. This story began with him wanting to save the bees. As a matter of fact, it was also about his own health, because he had undergone a whole bunch of health scare and found out through research and through uh, some alternative medicine that raw honey was going to be the cure for him. And on top of that, it's delicious. And so he has this model where he's selling to, uh, to stores and others that, that actually help grow the honey themselves. Uh, it varies depending on what area you're in, what kind of flowers the bees are consuming. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. So Nick told us, quote, it's so important to understand your customer and for them to understand the value of your product. And in Nick's case, the value of the product has so much to do with, with the story and the, the sustainability of the business and, and just the... Uh, um, the uh, just the sheer goodwill of, of, of how he started the whole thing. And uh, no, no better lessons learned than after his first year of losing basically his entire bee collection of beehives after one winter and they all died. But thankfully, he figured that out uh, after a few seasons and kind of pumped out. And now I believe he said 85% of his bees survived the winter. Mm. So that, that's pretty darn good. 
Inventory can be tough in that business, I would suspect. So. Yeah, well, as long as you behave with it, you're okay. Boom. Thankfully, you said that, not me. Continue. You were thinking a thought bubble over your head, Andy. <laughs> no way. No puns, my friends. No puns. Some HR issues, perhaps, when your employees can sting. But anyway, uh, what's one of your picks, Josh? Well, I would say I'm looking back, and uh, there's another one that stood out. You know, is This is a company that has been around a while. It's in, it's in aerospace. I just happen to know them pretty well. And... and this is this is MHD Rockland, and MHD Rockland has lived through a number. This is probably one of our, our our entrepreneurs that has been around a little longer. So go from Nick, who you know had only been around a few years, to Brian Dollymore from MHD Rockland, that's been in this business for a good thirty some odd years, uh, and his dad thirty years before him, and he came back and told some stories about merging him and his and his dad's company, and that was maybe less than perfect. It all worked out in the end and they're a stronger company as a result, but merging two very different cultures was extremely difficult. Uh, and that's, uh, that's not easy. His, his piece of advice actually, and he's in a business, he's in military aviation. So imagine military a- aviation when you're thinking about this quote, work on relationships, build those relationships, find ways to add value where others won't do it. More often than not, those will pay off in the end for bigger and better, better projects. So yes, re- bigger, better projects, military, no question. Uh, we won't talk about the American politics and what's good for that. Uh, but relationships, uh, it, it absolutely sure with every supplier, every customer. One, uh, one person I want to give a shout out to is uh, Dominic Ciarello of Rocket Sport. Um, you have to show your face, Dominic said, for his one piece of advice. And I remember Dominic because he made the news, because he came up with a novel product that answered a real need. And Andy, you'll appreciate this. You, you probably know Dominic. Takes the stink out of the hockey stuff. There you go. Are you, you kidding? You, you know what it is. It's I, a, it's I would a, never use it because I actually love my odor. Like but stink. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other story. Well, as long as one of you does. <laughs> and so I, I love it because I recall him making the news because he put in the effort. He did a lot of community outreach. He attracted attention organically by just having a good idea and panning the pavement. And, and that still works from a PR perspective. If you have a really novel idea and you tell people about it and you keep telling people, you put it out there in the community and you get out there uh, and show your face, like he said, um, that's a formula for success. Another one that kind of stands out, Dan, and not so much for his quote, but Svi Shapiro from New Look Solutions, uh, you know, his, his quote was, was meaningful, but that's not part of the story that stood out. His quote was, just make sure you have enough money before you start, uh, to put away before starting your business, which people may or may not do, and that, that's besides the point. But his, the part that of, of his story that I really liked a lot was when he finally realized that he needed to let go his right-hand person, who was the poison behind, behind his business, and how he almost lost his entire team because he kept on the wrong person, the person that basically controlled everything, that wouldn't let things go, that he thought was doing a phenomenal job, he was about to lose his entire team when, when reality slapped him in the face. And that's tough because when you have trust in, in somebody that's really that's been with you side by side for a while, there is, there is nothing harder to do than to realize and say, and say let go. Um, you know, I, I'm sure we're going to talk about some human resource loves uh, with you, Andy, but I'm sure there's been a few people here or there that have been phenomenal and some that may be a little less so. They're dead now, but... Um. <laughs> Not as a result of... I won't, we can finish, talk I won't finish that, that sentence. Uh, Andy, I, I guess just for the listener, maybe you can fill us in on what you're working on now. Oh, God. You know, I, I 
kid around at home with my wife and children, uh, although it's not that much of a joke when you really consider it, I, I say that these days I am 50% retired and 50% unemployed. Um, take your pick. So um, it is uh, basically it's uh, I get to choose what I want to or don't want to do at this stage in life, which is... Uh, um, liberating at times it's uh, terrifying at other times you know, you're just sitting there waiting for the phone to ring and then you pick up the phone and start making calls so it's a uh, uh, it's a lot of fun my, my main project really these days i'm out on boards i'm on the board of startup fest i'm on the board of tourism Montreal, which is an amazing learning experience but my my biggest day-to-day -day, i guess is working on a broadway play dan mentioned it it's called um, well les belles Sur, which is the quintessential play of quebec but we are bringing it um, to broadway uh, hopefully it, it will get there but but uh, the the um, path has been you know, really rapid so far. A lot of people are very impressed with how quickly this has gone. We have our, our director, we have a producing partner who just uh, is up for multiple Tony Awards in Oklahoma. So we're working with some very, very big people in Broadway. We've raised a good deal of money and it's moving fast. So hopefully, you know, what I find ironic is I'm partners with a man named Alan Sandler and it's two uh, Anglophone Jews taking this um, Florent Québécois and trying to expand it to the United States and around the world. Cool. I, I think it's a lot of fun. You know, we were, I mean, how does one get into the play business? Was it just because of Just for Last? Like, how do you, how did you, where was that movement from one to the other? Well, I guess an entertainment background helps. I guess to get into the theater, two things help. A, a theatrical background, an entertainment background. B, a whole lot of money. Uh, thankfully, I have A. So um, And friends with B. Yeah, and friends with B, exactly. Uh, or, you know, hopefully lots of friends with B coming up. Uh, but what's, what happened is I saw the play. I saw the Bell Star. I'm a Siegel Center subscriber. I went to see it, and it was basically the best thing I'd ever seen there. And I told that to Alan. I knew Alan from Just for Laughs Days. He produced a lot of plays with us in, in Just for Laughs Days, primarily in French. And he invited me to Ottawa and uh, said, what do you think? I said, it's wonderful. And he said, I want to take this to a um, uh, greater level, a gra greater heights. And he goes, I'm getting old. I don't, I don't feel like doing all the work anymore. Would you do the work and come board and become my partner? And that was, it was that simple. So really, it's, it's, it's uh, I, I guess you can call it um, uh, what is meant to be uh, that, that, that it happened. And there we go. Excellent. Now, there, there is there's a lot that goes on when you're putting on a play, and there's a lot of people around you. So from a human resource aspect, I mean, just gathering the people, making sure they're on the, the same page, working well with you, uh, how do you find the people that you've worked with over all the years? You know, I've been, as I mentioned before, in passing, I've been working for 43 years of my life. And it really, people think that showbiz is such an amazing business and it's so sexy and it's so glamorous, but it's a business. It's called show business for a reason. And the, you know, I don't want to demystify it that much, but the difference between what happens in a Broadway play and what happens at Fuller Landau or what happens at you know, CJD is, is minimal. It is you know, a team working together, trying to put together a product that people will buy. And uh, so the, the, the problems, the solutions, the, the um, dilemmas are really all the same. You have to find the, the best people. You have to have a, a goal in mind. And you have to understand that no matter what your goal is and what you think it's going to be, something's going to screw it up. And you have to be able to, do, to deal with everything that comes and trips you up. When you're looking to surround yourself with those type of people, do you look for certain aspects? I mean, is it skill set? Is it attitude? Is it their, their fun? Is it Well, Broadway is a little bit different. You need uh, people. Could be in any, any part of your entrepreneurial life. 
But yeah, you, you, you need people with, with a bit of experience. But I've always said this, uh, especially when I was at Just for Laughs. Um, I had a slogan, one of many that could be proper T-shirt stuff. And I'd say that, you know, give me the heart, the head will follow. You can look at all sorts of people, look at their resumes and see what they've done. But what people have done sometimes is totally irrelevant to what they will do. And I've always found that people can learn. You can teach people anything. You can. Te- I mean, I'm the worst in accounting, but I'm sure that somebody can, if, if they sit down, put enough, you know, um, work behind me and enough effort behind me, I can. They, they can teach me accounting. But you can't teach heart. You can't teach giving a damn. You can't teach that. So I would always say, give me the heart, the head will follow. So I guess in everything else, but you know, you can just go ahead and have you know a Broadway director and say, well, give me the heart, the head will follow. The Broadway director should know what he or she is doing. And I say she because because we hired a female director for Les Belles Sur because it's a show about female empowerment. Uh, Andy Nolman joins us uh, live at the Ritz. And Andy, um, we're going to come back a little bit to working with creatives from an HR perspective uh, later in the hour. But what is Andy Nolman like as a boss? Uh, what is it? What is, what is are you like a behind A tyrant! <laughs> a lunatic! A mental case! Help! Help! <laughs> You know, it's a good thing we're keeping the leash on him for this hour, you know. No one's, we had the whole garden to ourselves here at the Ritz, yes, by the yes. way. Um, we do now. Is it like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when you're working with Andy Nolman? No. Uh, you know, I guess it's, it's easy. For, you know, that, this is the one thing about bosses. If you ask a boss, what are you like? I mean, you've seen these, these surveys. What, what are you like as a boss? Oh, I'm kind. I'm fair. Um, I, I, I treat people well. And then you see the employees. What's he like as a boss? He's nuts. He's crazy. He's drinks, he, he screams, he yells, and it's a complete disconnect. So I guess the best way to evaluate a boss is never ask the boss, because what's he or she going to say? I suck? I'm terrible? You know, I, I make my people cry? Never. The best way to evaluate a boss is, is peer um, what's it called? Evaluation, you could say. So I guess right now, uh, what we should do is open up the lines and take calls from former employees who will go ahead. Seven nine. No, no I'm kidding. We, with we, you, we don't have enough time in the hour for that. So I'll, I'll put it differently. Then, Please. then, what's your style? What's your kind of style to to manage people or to work with people? I, I got. It. You know what? I'll tell you why I stopped. Because after a while, this is so terrible to admit. Uh, but then again, what are they going to do? People going to fire me? I'm, I'm I'm unemployed and retired. Uh, what, what, what my style always was, you find the solution. Like, let, let, let me kind of help you find the, the solution. And especially at Just for Last and at Airborne, where we really went up against with trouble, where, where in times of Just for Last and Airborne, where we were almost bankrupt and we almost had to close shop, where you have to really rally the troops uh, together. And I think maybe that is, you know, I, I'm probably good militarily to say, follow me, I'm going to get shot first, but, you know, just follow me into wherever we're, we're going. So, um, uh, what was the que- okay? What was the question again? No, what, what kind of management <laughs> style? Like, how do you? But, deal my, with but here's what here's the part I said. I, I hate to admit. After a while, what would happen? People would sit in front of me and tell me their problems, and I would sit there and, and I have to listen and smile, and I would say, "What do you tell me?" Is I I I I I, I don't I don't care about your problems. I don't care about your problems. Find the solution, and that was the so hassle. empathy. Empathy wasn't exactly no, there. No, <laughs> it, it was. It was always please come to me w- with a solution, and and let's try and work this out. Versus, and, and I tell you, I just for last, I had this at times where people would come with a problem, and I say, okay, so what are we going to do about it? And the answer was, well, I don't know. You're the boss. You tell me. And I say, oh, okay, well, uh, I think we're on a different wavelength here, which is why I realize I'm probably not a very good manager. Today's entrepreneur on CJD on location this time for our season finale. We're at the Ritz Carlton, and thank you so much to the Ritz and to Maison Boulud for welcoming us here, Josh. We're in the garden. A beautiful atmosphere. They're open here all summer and they have a really great Senka set they wanted to tell you about. So do drop by over the summer. It's a really great place to have a drink and talk business with Andy Nillman.
Absolutely. It's uh, the, the fresh air just kind of brings out the inspiration and, you know, the craziness factor is just kind of coming out as well. And I'm here every day at five seconds <laughs> at, so just come on. I have nothing, more, nothing better to do. I'm here and ready to tell stories. As long as you buy the drinks, I will be here to tell the stories. Oh, that's the key. There's the key. <laughs> the drinks are flowing. And Andy, let me ask you this. Did Toronto, New York, L.A. ever, ever tempt you? Because all these years you've been mostly based in Montreal. And uh, one of the advantages is, you, you, is people do business like this, right? Is, is that is that a, is, the, is the joie de vivre a reason why you stayed? Yeah, I guess so. But you know, my family was always here. I actually do love Montreal, which is why the fact of being on the board of Tourisme Montreal for me is, is, is a great source of pride that they would actually think of me to, to do this. I, I really, truly do love the city and do believe that its best days are ahead of it, not behind it. Uh, but I was offered, I'll, I'll just tell you a story, I was offered uh, to work for HBO in um, USA, in, in LA, uh, back in the day, uh, in, in terms of running its, you know, part of its comedy program, uh, when I was at Just for Laughs. And I went down for, for an interview, and um, uh, it was the time, we were there during the Northridge earthquake. So that was the last major earthquake, and if I'm telling you, that was a biggie, that was a real biggie. And my wife said, you know what, we, we were ready to move, and my wife said, you know, Snowstorm is one thing, uh, but an earthquake, if I, we knew where our kids are, we knew exactly we, we, we could reach them, but, but knowing that an earthquake can happen any time, we wouldn't know where your kids were, you couldn't reach them. She said, this is where we draw the line, and uh, because of the earthquake, I never moved to L.A. Wow. <laughs> so the earthquake brought me, it kept me in Montreal. This is uh, either the detriment or the benefit of uh, God's will. Not even when the earth moves. Yes, Not exactly. even when the earth moves. <laughs> so let, let's kind of talk, and, and maybe not picking on one particular entrepreneurial business that you've kind of been involved, but from a marketing aspect, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you've spoken, you're, you can be Mr. Marketer at times and all the businesses, whether it's just for last or airborne or play the few or whatever it might be, or bell, sir, tell us what for you, what marketing worked pretty well and what was a total flop? Well, it goes it's really simple yet difficult. It's simple to talk about yet difficult to do. Um, marketing, the problem with marketing is that um, usually you have to talk to other people. You have to run it through legal and um, you have to you know, discuss it with a team and get buy in. Buy in is the enemy of success. Okay, buy-in is the, there's next year's quote, by the way. <laughs> buy-in is the enemy of success. Anything you're going to get buy-in, and you know that there's somebody who's going to be not get it, not understand it, and bring down something that's exciting and fun and, and earth-shattering. So anything that worked were things that we said, let's just take a shot. Let's take a risk. Let's, let's, move. let's get people to, to talk about things. Let's get people to notice things. Let's get people to, to, to be, outrage them in, in certain ways. But at least you're not boring. At least you're not, you know, you're taking a, 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 a handful of razor blades and making them into a Nerf ball. And that's what happens with, with most marketing and, you know, in, in many cases because, you know, oh, we, well, let's see, you know, we have to run it through legal. When you have to run it through legal, good night, close the door. Don't even do it. When you say you got to run it through legal, just say, okay, it's over. It's finished because it will be finished because there's no way legal is going to say, hey, you know what? That's a great idea. Let's risk, you know, our, our company's future on it because of the fact that uh, we may be going against the law. And you and you've been in business for. I mean, we won't say old you are, but let's say you a few say decades. A, yeah, for, I mentioned forty three years five times on this show. God damn it! Well, you know who, who who am I to keep track of numbers in my profession? So, <laughs> so traditional marketing, like you know, before social media, before online, before that the, the reputation that you had to manage online before your own. 
do you miss that? Do you still do it? Do you still believe? I, I think traditional marketing still exists. It just happens to exist in a different medium. The same way ex- traditional marketing worked in radio before it worked in television, and it worked in television before it worked, you know, um, on social media. Um, it's just a different way to get a message out. But what's the message? What are you trying to say? Are people going to give a damn? Look, I just gave a speech last week at C2, and we talked about one of the one of the, the elements of the speech was do things that people want to take pictures of. Think like a camera, because people share things that, that, that are exciting. Nobody shares something that's boring. They share things that, that are exciting, that, that, are, that are visually exciting. So in essence, um, that's a, a key point of marketing. Will people actually give a damn enough to to share it? To say, and you know, great marketing is shared. Poor marketing is ignored. So I, I can go on and on. But uh, I, I just I really think it all boils down to to two things. One is guts, and two is to convince those who are afraid that you know what the hell you're doing. Be different. We're going to talk more about creativity in a second, but uh, in terms of sort of your, your business past, um, did you ever get the feeling that some of your best ideas were terrible? And how do you overcome that feeling? And how do you say, for example, mobile gaming is going to be the next revolution? And how do you convince people that you're not crazy? Who says he's convinced people he's not crazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Josh. It, marketing is a combination. Um, like it's a 50% vision and 50% larceny. And let me explain why. To be a great marketer to, to, or to be a great entrepreneur, you have to see what's coming down the pike. You have to have a vision. This is what's going to happen. But you also have to be a great liar because of the fact that you have to lie to people. That's the larceny part. Because say, yes, uh, you know, this will happen because you don't know. You don't know. And you have to convince them of something that you don't know, which means that, in essence, you are lying. So, but me, you have to believe your own lie. Of course. But let me, go ba- let me go back for a second. When we were doing Airborne, Garner Bornstein and myself, and I always mention Garner because, really, it, it was the two of us, and, and he, what a wonderful partner he was. Garner and I, when we did, had Airborne, we would tell people, we would show a phone that had a green screen with black dots on it and say, one day people will watch television on this. And everybody, including our own board members, thought we were nuts. They said, television? What are you talking about? It doesn't make sense. The screens aren't color. They're pixels. Don't you understand? They're ASCII art. Remember those printers? They used to go, vroot, 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 vroot. That's, that's the imagery you have on this. What do you mean t- television? But we, we didn't know, but we, that was what we saw. That was what we hoped for. And we said, well, we have to go ahead and create it. So in essence, so there's the vision, but there's the larceny. And we had to lie and say, yes, yes, this is coming, because otherwise, what are you going to do? Say, ah, we don't really know, and you know, we hope maybe. No, no one's going to buy we hope maybe. They're going to buy yes. They're going to buy we see it. They're going to buy believe us. And that's what we had to do. You know, you mentioned uh, switching gears a little bit, you mentioned a couple of partners' names uh, in the last uh, little bit. So you've worked with a lot of partners. How is it, you know, on- there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that work with partners. What's been your experience? What would you say to them? Any lessons that you've learned along the way? I've been blessed by partners in life. Um, you know, my wife being one of them. Um, Garner being another, Allen being another, and I'll mention somebody who's politically incorrect right now, uh, but he is a, he was a great partner, Gilbert Rozon. If without Gilbert Rozon, I would not have had the life I had at Just for Laughs. I understand the uncoolness of it. I understand you know what, what's going on, but I have to say, put all that aside and just I'm looking at him as a human being and as a partner. There was nobody better. He was the guy who said at all times, 
take risks. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, he was crazy, but the, but the fact was, you know, a bit so was I. So it was wonderful when you know, your partners are crazier than you. But, uh, but I, I've, um, throughout my entire life, I got to tell you, there was never one point in my life where it was solo. There was always a part where I had a superb partner to um, take me through things. But you didn't always agree with them? You were always on the same page? Oh, of How course not. you deal not. with conflict you with kidding? your partners? Oh my lord! I, I can tell you the conflicts Garner and I had, the conflicts Gilbert and I had. Like I have letters that back and forth that we sent us back in the days of letters before email, where you you can't believe the things we said to each other. But that's the nature of, of the beast. Andy will have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way, and then for our web listeners, a special extra segment where we talk about uh, Andy's biggest f ups in business. And uh, this is all part of uh, Josh's F-Up Nights, uh, which he organizes with our next guest, Natalie Riviere of Cometa Communications. And welcome back to CJD, Natalie. Thank you so much, Dan. So you're here because we're going to talk about creatives, and you run a marketing agency. Uh, we've worked together on, on many projects now. And we're going to talk a little bit, Josh, about working with creatives, something Andy has extensive experience in and uh, has been known to cause a few HR issues here and there. Uh, I- I'm sure he has. Maybe we'll talk about them in our final segment about our, our F-ups or some of his F-ups. But before we get to there and before we get to his one piece of advice, Natalie, you're, you're in the business. You're, you're online branding and, and strategy. You, you have creatives that are within your, you know, within your own team. And then there's, of course, dealing with creatives that are maybe part of your customers or clients' teams. So in that context, and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs out there deal with a lot of creatives, what is your, you know, what are the first thing, first thing that comes to mind when you're dealing with creatives in your world? Um, the word intrapreneur, I guess, and it goes back to the entrepreneurial spirit, whether we're inside a company or not, uh, everyone is there to offer their unique perspective, their unique talents. And so from the beginning, I'd say like everyone has something to contribute. I don't know if you call every single person creative, but Everyone definitely has their unique vision and ability to bring to the table. So it's pretty universal in that sense. How do you control it? I mean, you're dealing sometimes with, we'll call them artists. And, um, and you know, you can kind of pose the same question to Andy at some point, but dealing with artists, how do you, how do you, how do you work with them? Yeah, I actually started uh, the company targeting artists and uh, was working in all different sectors of art in Montreal. And then eventually I switched the word to entrepreneurs Um, And I think more and more entrepreneurs and creativity is being valued in business. And so over 10 years ago when this was happening, a lot of artists didn't realize that pursuing their art meant they also needed to do their accounting and needed to do their marketing and needed to do their administration and all the things that you don't really consider when you follow a passion. And in Montreal, we can live pretty affordably and not all of them really ever wanted to get to those parts. Uh, And so I shifted gears towards entrepreneurs, but essentially... um, that passion piece is important. And I think creativity now more than ever is being valued in business. And even online, what we're going to see is that content is literally content banking and will act as a currency uh, more and more. And so uh, another shift towards creativity and encouraging arts in business. You know, I I can feel Andy biting his tongue, dealing with artists, dealing with the creatives, Andy, Um, dealing with people a little bit like yourself, but maybe some a little bit even more out there. What do you say? Dealing with an artiste is like dealing with a, a 60 goal scorer in the NHL. 
and, and going ahead and criticizing them for not back-checking. They are there to score goals. They should be celebrated. They should be encompassed. They should be protected. But it doesn't always happen this way because people actually, and, and I hate to contradict you because I, I'm sad, I'm saddened because people hate artists. I got to say that, that people hate artists. People hate creativity. People hate risk. I, I see this all the time. Oh, we, I get this all the time. People say, oh, we want to be different. We want to be unique. We want to like change things. We want to be wild. Okay, what about this idea? That's a little too wild. Can you bring it down a bit? Okay, what about this? Mm, still a little bit, a little nutty. What about, okay, what about this? Uh, can you, okay, what about this? Oh, this is perfect. Yeah, well, that's exactly what you're doing now. I've brought it down six levels. You know, I, I wish I could agree with you. I wish I could see it, but I really do believe that people, um, and this will and has to change, the majority of people, particularly in business, disrespect, um, are afraid of, uh, and 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 uh, what's the uh, I'm trying to think of another adjective, but uh, let's just use disrespect. They're afraid of artists. They don't want. They don't like them. They are afraid of them, and uh, th- they tolerate them. And I think that's wrong. I think they're as important as anybody else. But man, oh man, it's difficult. And, and I'm looking at you guys with, with, with so much happening online. Yeah, I, I think the fear is because if something goes wrong, it's there forever. It's not something that is there and gone. But but what does working- that really mean? What's working online is the arts. Like now it's a video or a piece of visual. Like video is everything, you know, and imaging, styling, graphic design. Like it is putting value there. I happen to work with entrepreneurs mostly. So the kind of companies that feel the way you do aren't the ones that are really um, serving. I intended this business to support the exactly people that you're talking well, good about. good for you because it's, it's, it's a necessity. And it, it, it will drive uh, the economy because the economy is driven by, by new ideas. And what hap- But unfortunately, in many cases, the people who are in positions of power are the ones who will hold the reins on new ideas, and that's the drag. One thing I'd like to put on the table is, is maybe giving creatives, this is something that I've learned from experience, uh, a very clear sense of what their mission is and what their deadlines are. Is, is bringing that structure, does that help the process? Deadlines, yes, because in the end, it is a business, and you do have to deliver. I mean, there's a great uh, quote by Steve Jobs, which always said, great artists ship, and I do believe that. Artists have to go ahead and and, and bring their stuff to the gallery or or wherever. I use the gallery as an example, but in essence, without shipping, without being there, you know, um, I always said art exists only when people uh, interact with it. Art alone in the studio is masturbation. Nobody goes ahead and there's no interaction. Art is about, about the relationship between the between those creating it and those accepting it. But, unfortunately, that isn't always the case. But back to you, with your point about the deadline is important. But other than that, an artist is a different breed. It's a different headspace. It's a different brain space. And you can't expect many times somebody who is and uh, no, no offense to accountants, but an accountant and a lawyer to understand an artist. It's the same way you can expect a lawyer to, uh, I mean, an artist to understand a lawyer and an accountant. They're two separate headspaces, and they should be respected, but it's tough. Uh, for the record, he pointed to me, and I take no offense because I really don't think I'm an accountant, <laughs> even though the title on my card says so. Uh, thanks very much, Natalie. I know that I know. I don't know if there's a quick final thought. To yeah, give. well, I was just gonna say it circles back to relationships, and so we are all different. And you started with one of those lines as the the highlight of the year, but working with creatives is still working with human beings, and so relationship skills I think are also as key as ever, regardless of what niche you're working with. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks very much, uh, Natalie Riviere, Cometa. And just before uh, we approach the last moment of the program, uh, we'll turn to our guest, Andy Nolman, and ask you, Andy, what would be, if you could pick one, 
What would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? For today's entrepreneur, the piece of advice is listen to everyone, but be very selective of what you hear because everyone's going to talk to you. No matter what, they're going to say, they're going to give you advice, they're going to tell you. And, and you can't be, can't, can't cop an attitude to say, I won't listen to you. But you can go ahead and say what you will actually hear. And hearing and listening are two very, very different things. And in the end, believe in yourself. Because I got to tell you, if, if I can, some of the major mistakes I've made is listening to other people, not following what, what I really believe. And in the end, you're only going to have yourself to answer to. So if that's the case, you know, forget about it. Because they're not going to be there in the end when, 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 you know, when, when stuff goes down. So um, that's it. Listen to everybody, but only hear a few certain things. Be selective. Andy Nolman, to wrap up our season here on Today's Entrepreneur, thank you so much, Andy, for dropping by. And thank you for suggesting this beautiful venue, the Ritz-Carlton. And we really appreciate your insights. Wait till next year. We are going whole hog. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is, there is more coming for our web listeners. Today's Entrepreneur, our season finale. This is the overtime edition with our guest, Andy Nolman, uh, as well as Natalie Riviero, Committed Communications. And guys, we're just going to talk about F-ups for the extra segment. Actually, we can, we can just no, go right is, ahead and say it, This is the extra right? segment. It's a fuck up. Uh, yes. It's a fuck up. All right, we just did it. Fuck up. We the added the extra, uh, the extra we've letters. We've sworn in really? a decade. Yeah. Really? First it's, time on the air. Uh, well, maybe not the first time. I think there was one or two that maybe were missed along the way. Uh, but Hopefully. we don't remember those, so it's okay. We don't talk about those because the CRTC will have an issue. Uh, but nonetheless, and we And they're can... so relevant these days. <laughs> UCK is a lot more relevant than CRTC, but, uh, but, I, but I digress. So we're, gonna, we're talking about the event Fuck Up Nights. Uh, so there's one actually in two days from now. June 19th. June 19th. It's going to be hosted by Paul Circa at Circa Distilleries. Uh, so always good to have a little bit of alcohol and some fuck up stories. Uh, they ju they just they they get exponential from there, and uh, and I'm gonna let uh, Natalie. You know she she really brought fuck up nights to to Montreal. So I'm gonna give her uh, you know her her a couple of minutes and kind of talk about that before we get into some of Andy's fuck ups. And, and Natalie, this is an international movement, right? Exactly. At the moment, I think it's over 315 cities uh, are basically hosting these fuck-up nights, um, which is the same in every city. It's three to four speakers have seven minutes to share a professional failure. There's uh, about a three-minute Q&A. If you have slides, you can have up to ten. Um, and basically, this started in Mexico City. Uh, five friends who loosened up enough uh, with some drinks after work admitted professional failures, realized that they all had them, and then put it on social Mexican style, Fiesta Viva Mexico style, uh, and it quickly spread. And now, like you say, it's over 315 cities, uh, and uh, we, you know, it came to Montreal you know, because you, you knew it first, and you brought it to Montreal about two and a half years ago, and uh, it, we met so many great entrepreneurs along the way, and heard so many, I guess, inspirational if you can call if you can call a fuck up story inspirational then we'll call it inspirational and uh, and for the next part we're going to turn to Andy who I'm sure has had one or two or 1200 um, fuck ups even though we all know about the successes and and, and kind of grill him and say Andy you know if you can sort them out in your head you know what what would be the the top of mind fuck up that you can share with us that that we can learn from there's so many, but I'm trying to think how to frame this properly. Um, the one thing about any fuck-up is that 
it doesn't last. You see, it, and, and its its status changes over time. And this is something that's really important to remember that what may seem like disastrous and suicide contemplation today is a story in a bar two years from now that you're going to be killing yourselves with laughter, rolling over with laughter. But it's understanding that that's really, really important. But, but I'll tell you, when it goes down, it's hard to appreciate that, oh yeah, one day we will laugh at this. I just spoke to my son the other day. My son has a problem, a business problem. He runs a pretty big business. And um, I, I said, you know, one day we'll look back on this and laugh. Today it's misery and it's scary, but one day we will look back on this and laugh. And that's the only way to look at any fuck up because it does become something funny later on. And that's one of the things. What, what's the expression? Comedy equals tragedy over, uh, plus time. You know, so, so the longer the time, the, the funnier it gets. And does, it, does he heed that advice? Does he say, no, Dad, really, you know, don't give me that line. Don't give me that crap. Don't give me that shit. It's it's crap now. I've got my bad right. reputation. It's uh, like but, how is it going to get funny? But he's seen us go through it and realizes that that really it is the case. And I'll tell you, I, I don't think there's anything better to be told than when you're going through a bunch of grief. That hey, you know what? One day you're going to look back on this and laugh, and from somebody who who looks back today and laughs. So I can talk about a, a number of different. Um, uh, Fuck ups and and, um, and and again, you, what again? We're, let, let's talk a, a little bit theoretical before we get to um, uh, the actual uh, to the anecdotes. The anecdote, but theoretically, when you are are screwing up, um, you know, in, in the mo- today's screw up, maybe tomorrow's success. You just don't know. You just really, really um, don't know. So I'll give you an example. I, I guess. Um, you know, when you're looking, you know, I look at some fuck ups and I say, but they're not really because of the fact that, you know, I learned something or, um, yeah, it, but it turned out I met this person and I would have hadn't done, I would have not done that if, not, if things didn't screw up. You, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Just before Natalie jumps in, of all the times that we've asked entrepreneurs, if you could transport your knowledge back to the beginning when you started your, your business, uh, what would you do differently? And, 98 times out of 100, 49 times out of 50, because I can do the math, <laughs> is, is absolutely nothing because whatever I screwed up, whatever I fucked up, whatever I failed at, taught me to be better afterwards. And if I didn't fail then, I might not be as successful now. So I want to go through the exact same path so I can end up here. And the Failure Institute agrees with you, Andy. Oh, hallelujah. Wow. Somebody <laughs> There's a school that agrees with you. <laughs> wow. Basically, the Fuck Up Nights movement, these events inspired um, government to ask, look, if you're hearing all these failure stories, why do businesses fail? That inspired studies to happen now around the world, monitoring, uh, depending on the culture, depending on the geographic location, depending on the industry, why are businesses failing? There's a global failure index with over 3,000 data points mapping this work. Um, and they're working now with government, with Ivy League schools on the research side, but companies also started going, well, you know, what about our culture? Could we have a fuck up nights internally to talk about our particular failures? Um, I had been asked on behalf of fuck up nights to go and give a lecture on failure in one of these companies that was looking forward to shifting their mindset a bit. And that's exactly what you described and exactly what these other entrepreneurs are saying is that the opposite of failure is the growth mindset because failure is actually, if you look at all the data, just a mindset. When you're learning to walk, you fall. When you're learning to talk, you stumble. And 
you if you stop At least there. She didn't say slur. <laughs> yes, but it's an important point. You said the opposite of, of failure is not success. The opposite of failure is Growth. learning. Yeah, exactly. So, but let let me take you back um, a, a couple of examples if I can. Let, let's face the fact on failure. No matter what, then we can laugh at it. We got fuck up nights and fail camp and this and that. It still hurts. Nobody likes to fail. Nobody likes to strike out. Nobody likes to lose money. Nobody likes a show to fail. Nobody likes their business to fail. Nobody likes a new product launch to flop. Nobody. It, nobody likes it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't. It feels terrible. But the point of the matter is it's reality. It's reality. It happens. And to, ev- to say it doesn't happen is psychosis. That's it. To say it will never happen, I can't fail, is psychosis. And that's worse than failure. Psychosis, a mental illness, is worse than failure. Failure is, is cool uh, if you can deal with it. And dealing with it means like, okay, I know it's going to hurt and I know it sucks. I know it feels bad. But I will get over it. And that's the problem. Many times the problem is not getting over it. And that brings up a whole bunch of issues. So spill a couple of the beans. Can you pick a, a fuck up that, you, that you've I'll been through, that you lived the through? The major fuck up. The ma- and I, and there's a zillion, I can tell you, but shows that, that failed and this didn't work. And, uh, but but I, there's two that come to mind. And I'm going to give you the, 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 a silly one and then a, an important one. The silly one is at, at, we did something at, at, um, at the CTIA, Cellular Telecommunications Industry of America, um, Long story, but um, we wanted to do some sort of promotion that did something different and didn't cost us a lot. So I came up with the idea of of, of stamping American dollar bills with. Actually, it was ironic because it was the message was a game we were launching in the states called Donald Trump's Real Estate Tycoon. Believe it or not, uh, so how long ago was this? This is uh, oh my god, pre pre yeah. pre Donald. Yes, yes, and he was our partner. He was a part. It was oh, this is a complete other surreal story for another radio show, but uh, or podcast. Fuck up uh, yes, exactly. But um, anyway, we, we, we stamped a thousand dollar bills uh, about uh, and, and it said on the dollar bills, there's only two ways to beat Donald Trump. A, collect a few billion more of these or B, play Donald Trump's real estate tycoon, which is the game we were producing at Airborne Mobile. Anyway, our, our idea was at, at this conference, where we had to make a, a, a make you know, some sort of splash. We were on a panel discussion. At one point in time, we, flew, we, we myself and four um, uh, employees threw these dollars into the air. And the place went nuts. Because when they finally realized, hey, these are real dollars, they went berserk. So you had people fighting, overturning tables, pushing each other. <laughs> and I was thrilled. I thought this was the... the um, Time of my life. It did everything I wanted it to do. It caused a stir. People were talking about us. But then after, we, <laughs> we got banned from the conference. We never, so you can never, ever come back here because our advertisers are really pissed. Um, the, the people were writing about it and saying you know, about how, how lunatic it was. And I remember Garner, Garner Bornstein, my partner at the time, came up to me and he says, this is not your finest moment. <laughs> and I felt terrible. But and, the, and then he said, I'll be back. And then, but then, when I look at it now, uh, and even a little later, for, for months after and for conferences after, people were coming up to me, are you throwing dollar bills this time? Are you throwing dollar bills? People remember that. And it, 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 so the, the point of the matter is that, wow, uh, you know, it, it hurt and it was terrible and it was a huge screw-up at the time, perhaps. But in, in retrospect, people never forgot that. And I never forgot that. And it's a great story now. And it, I think when you look back, and, and we end up selling a couple of years later, to me, that was one of the turning points where people started to really take notice of us. So, but I felt so crummy that day. I said, oh, what have I done? 
You is know? that one of those? There's no such thing as bad publicity. I guess you know. I, yeah, there is. But trust me, believe me. Don't even go there. But I know bad publicity, and I can tell you all sorts of stories. <laughs> but anyway, but let's not even go there. But um, these days, there's lots of bad publicity. But let's not even, not even go there. But that was that. Was, but in the end, it was kind of fun. I'm happy I did it. But here's the major one. Dan, you have something you want to say? Before you get to the major one, let me ask you this. Um, when you do mess up, and, and I think myself and other entrepreneurs can get over the, the messing up and move on, but what if your audience doesn't get over it? Like, What if it takes a bit of a process to, to convince your audience that you are turning a page? How do you do that? That's tough because in the end, audiences rule. But also, remember, um, you can't let the audience always guide what you do. You have to have a belief in what you do. And sometimes if all you do is bend to the whims of an audience, you will just be a puppet your whole life. Sometimes you have to say, I, you know what? I know better than you. And um, I know I will give you what you want, but I also know what you need. And that's a big statement. That's a big, big statement. And in business, sometimes that can, you say, oh, I got to listen to my audience. But, you know, there's the old story. If you listened, if uh, Henry Ford listened to his audience, uh, we would all be driving uh, uh, nicer horses now, you know. You, somebody has to have a vision. Somebody has to take the lead. And, and what I found in life, and this is no offense to anybody listening or to the mass of people who are out there as a quote-unquote audience, but people like to be led. And audiences will, you know, if you go ahead and let yourself be led by them all the time, it will be problematic. People want new um, things, that, and they will follow you, but, but you have to have the guts for them. You have to have the guts. An entrepreneur, by nature, has to have the guts for his, her, or their audience. Entrepreneur equals risk taker to different degrees, no doubt, but in some way, shape, or form, they have to be some type of risk taker. A hundred percent, which brings me to the biggest, you said the biggest screw up. Here's the biggest screw up in, in, in my business life. We had just sold Airborne Mobile for a lot of money, and at the time we didn't realize it at the time. But at the time in 2006, it was the biggest, um, you know, private sale of a company, you know, in the tech space in the in the country ever. We didn't realize that, but but we also Garner and I we we sold the business, and at the time we were so early in mobile that we sold before the iPhone came out. Okay, so that's how early we were. We sold you know, before the iPhone came out, and then the iPhone came out. And we we were purchased by a Japanese company. We were working for this Japanese company, and the iPhone came out, and we were not in the first waves, meaning the iPhone came out and here's the apps that that are in it, but in the second wave where they said, hey, you know what, the iPhone's out. We would like you, given your expertise, we would like you to start creating apps for the the um, the iPhone. And what we said at the time, we were we just sold the company. We were a little bit uh, high on ourselves, a little bit, you know, fat. And um, when I say fat, I mean, you know, oh, you know, we're we're sitting back and you know, enjoying the fruits of our labor. We said, well, you know what? What's the business model? And they said, well, it's seventy thirty. We take thirty percent, you get seventy, but um, you have to do all the marketing. Well, seventy percent. Let's wait and see how you do. And uh, when you've proven yourself to us, come back, please, and we'll see if we'd like to work for the iPhone and Apple. Thank you very much. Is that a Japanese accent that you're no, working No, no, no. That is a very British, pompous, <laughs> uh, feed me a grape uh, accent. <laughs> Wave the palm, yeah. yeah. And we said, uh, you know, come back to us. And anyway, the end result is we still sold the company. We still did well. But we missed the opportunity to be on the ground floor of the iPhone revolution. Why? Because we were 
content with our success. We were happy. We were fat. We were, we were slovenly. And that was the biggest lesson in my life was we lost the hunger. And never to lose that hunger. And never to believe your own hype. And never to think you're that smart. You, oh, you sold your company. Wow. How impressive. You, you, you were lucky. You were right place, right time. You worked hard. But it's not that you're a genius. You happen, you know, you were right place, right time, hard work, all that together managed, you, uh, allowed you to sell your company. Not because you're so smart. And we actually, maybe I, I can't really speak for Garner, I will speak for myself, thought I was smart, let's wait and let's see. And that, so, so let's get, get back to this. So the, the major lesson here is that the failure is not anything I did. There's never a failure that I did that I could not get over. But the failure of what I didn't do is what kills me. The failure of what I didn't do of saying I had the opportunity and I didn't do it because I was afraid or I was fat, I, I was lazy, I was, that's what kills me. Take, you know, the, the, there's the, the old expression of, um, uh, of you know, oh, it's such an old expression, I can't remember it now. Uh, but it, it's whether if, if you do something, and you fail, big deal. But if you don't do something and you fail, and, and you reg there's never the a regret, regret yeah. ever a regret of anything I've done, but there's the regret is what I didn't do and I had in the palm of my hand. Does that mean you've never done something that you've regretted afterwards? No. That's not, rhetorical. Not really, no. <laughs> no have, you, have you always gone out after that? You've, did you truly learn your lesson and say, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go in whole hog? And I'm not going to get fat, and I'm not going to get lazy. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to <laughs> Maybe too point. much. Yeah, but to this point where, uh, and, and also, you, but sometimes you have to say you got to know when to quit. But you got to know when to quit when you say, you know what, uh, the, the effort I'm putting in is not worth the return I'm taking out. That's fine, but that's not different. That's way different from saying, oh, you know what, nah, don't feel like doing it anymore. I, it's fine. I don't have to work that hard. No. Uh, uh, untrue, untrue. So, yeah, it, it's uh, anything I've done, and there have been plenty of fa failures since and things that didn't go my way, but at least I can say, hey, you know what? I took the shot. Maybe my timing was off. Maybe this was off. Maybe, maybe my strategy was off. Maybe my marketing was off. But at least I did it versus not doing it. Anything in your just for laughs part of your life that was kind of a bit of a fuck up or, or something that you can remember? And I'm not talking Look, about... Look, there were so many, but... Uh, I'll give you an example of something that didn't work. I, I don't see it as a fuck. I think it's a major success. But you know, but if you look at it from the success, from you know, a, a standard success's standpoint, you'd see it as a huge failure. Twenty-one years ago, I launched a show called In Through the Outdoor. It was the world's first all-gay and lesbian sketch comedy show. Um, I thought at the time, and, and, and this avant-garde, you know, avant-garde. This was the delusion. I thought, you know, I'm going to be in like Time Magazine. Is here's the person who has managed to bring everyone together and a big kumbaya moment, straight, gay. What does it matter? We are all one. So I did this show, and and I managed to convince some major talent. I was, uh, if, if you you can see it on YouTube, it's available on YouTube. In through the outdoor, um, T H R U, by the way, uh, and. Um, I thought, you know, that that uh, it was going to be you know, a, a massive, massive success, and people were going to take to it. and And I assembled, you know, this team of of gay writers and and um, and uh, uh, performers. Leah Delaria from Orange Is the New Black, she was in it, and I was mercilessly lampooned as the straight producer who thought he knew what the hell he was talking about, which was hilarious. It was like a priest trying to do, like, hey, I got a Jewish humor show we're going to put together. That was me, but. In the end, when I look at this show now, it's I, I say, this is amazing. I can't believe I did this. But at the time, here's what happened. I will never forget this. 
The show aired, we, we sold it to CBC and to Showtime. We got an American deal on this show. And it ran on CBC and on Showtime. CBC, and this is pre-internet. you got to remember, this is 1998. That's uh, 21 years ago. Yeah, 1998. So this is pre-internet. So if somebody complained about something, they had to call CBC or write them, okay, or maybe email them. Uh, but, but primarily it was call. So they gave us this list of, of people complained. And these were the complaints. Every show, one, two, one, zero, one, two, one, zero, one, two, zero, 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 one, two, eight hundred and fifty, one, two, zero. We were the eight hundred and fifty. And the other complaints were like, oh, Peter Manmage, Manswich, I don't like the color of his tie, the credit's too fast on this. Our complaints were, how dare you? Uh, I, I'm never going to watch CBC again. I'm complaining to the government about you. You are going to hell. You will be damned. It was amazing the amount of complaints because everyone complained. Straights, gays, gays said, how dare you portray us like this? Straights say, how dare you put this on television? Equal, and, equal opportunity offender. I think it's great. Oh, my <laughs> God. Everybody hated it. And then in the, so CBC called and said, listen, I know we have, we're planning this as a pilot for the series. Um, Forget it. We're, you know, th- this is it. Showtime. Figure. Okay, in the States, Matt Blank, the president of the Showtime, never forget, called me. He said, Andy, we have 15, we have a window. Window means how many times you can air the show. We have a window of 15 airings on the show. Um, keep your money. We're not showing it again. The response has been so, people are freaking out. They're calling us all sorts of, of bands. We're losing subscribers. So is that a fuck up? You can say on one hand, yes, but it's it was a matter of timing. I was just really too maybe too dead ahead of your early. time. Yeah, but uh, but uh, you know, it's it's you did quotes uh, on an earlier show. Yeah. You're doing quotes of, of this year. Uh, a quote I read this earlier this year from Chris Arsenal's group, Innovia Capital. They put out this book of, mm-hmm. of quotes of, of uh, and and one of them was, you know, being too early is just another way of failing. And I said, oh, that that that's powerful, but. In essence, maybe they're maybe they're right. Maybe that that is right. So, but in the end, when I look at it now, I am proud as hell because very few people had the guts to go ahead, not just say, "Hey, here's an idea," but to work four years to raise the money to get the cast to get the goddamn thing on the air. That was me. You know, one of your friends that that's that have been on the show and has spoken at Fuck Up Nights, Justin Kingsley. His quote, his one piece of advice was, "Get a virtual fuel tank for your back." Because you just need that energy. It doesn't matter who knocks you down. doesn't matter. You just need to keep get up and get going. I've always said, you know what? In the end, um, it was a quote by Ayn Rand when, when people were, were dumping on Atlas Shrugged. And she just said, you know, she, she just looked at her detractors and said, you know, I pity them because they just don't understand. And in the end, that's what I had to do it in through because I, I couldn't buy into the fact that they knew better than me. I said, you know what? I pity them. They just don't understand. They are, they are, they are uh, homophobic. They are backward. They are you know, um, uh, overly conservative. They are, they are whatever. I am right. And I st- unfortunately or fortunately, I still believe that. We know there's so many more fuck-up stories to tell. Uh, and, uh, and I think we would welcome you at any future fuck-up night. So, oh, uh, I think I think we need to make that happen. What do here's you think, the Natalie? question: If I come to fuck up and succeed, do I? Does that is Oxy- that sort of oxymoronic? Like a, yeah. What, what happens? Are we you calling come, you a moron again? Yeah. <laughs> if you come to fuck up night and you succeed, is that like you know with a paradox? One may say. It means you'll have fun. Okay, and <laughs> that's, that's well put. It's built in the name. <laughs>
Well, Andy Nullman, that wraps it up uh, for, for today. And thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the suggestion of the venue as well. And for you to close up the season, it's been really great chatting with you. Thank you. Just one more question, guys. Yeah. You have a question for us? This is the decade. I close it the decade. Yeah. You're closing the decade. It took you 10 years to get me on this show. <laughs> Screw you. We needed your fucking wisdom, okay? And maybe it took that long <laughs> to get there. Years. We had to get really fucking big before we could invite Ten you. 10 years. <laughs> you know how old I am now? Oh, God. <laughs> Monday nights at 7 on CJD 800 in Montreal. Today's entrepreneur.org. You can hear the whole 10 years without Andy uh, at the website. And uh, we'll see you back here in September. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.